Welcome. Today we're going to be talking with Bob Smith of 60 Skills, and we're going to be talking about Kabbalah in general. And we're also going to go over and dive deeply into his Kabbalah Masterclass and his new Planetary Kabbalah Masterclass. Well, welcome, Jake. Uh, good to see you again. Glad, glad you're here. And uh, yeah, uh, the Kabbalah course is interesting. Uh, it came as a result of my study and work on Franz Barden's book, The Key to the True Kabbalah. Now, the Kabbalistic letters, the 27 of them, are fundamentally based in elemental practice, and most of them are variants of fire, air, water, earth, and akasha, or the power of the void. Now, in the master class, I teach the mother letters in terms of SCH for fire, A for air, M for water, umlaut A for earth, and E for akasha. So the Kabbalah course is an expansion of that. Now, depending upon someone's prior training, you can certainly learn how to do the Kabbalah strictly from the Kabbalah course, but largely the body training and some of the uh, things involving clairvoyance and clairaudience aren't in there, along with a few other things. Now, the Kabbalah course is actually part of a four-part process. On the front cover of Franz Barden's third book, Key to the True Kabbalah, there's this drawing. In the center are the elements, outside that are the planets, then you have the zodiac, and then you have the ten sephiro. So this was Franz Barden attempting to explain that this is the master progression for his system. Unfortunately, uh, he died before the third book was fully written. So a lot of this was not explicitly stated. Now, a close reading of his second book on evocation and the third book on Kabbalah makes it pretty clear this is where he was going. So like in the second book on evocation, a lot of the spirits will have a zodiac sign and time associated with them or a specific planetary association as well. Learning how to stack these is how you complete that system. And the first stage in that is, of course, the letters of the Kabbalah problem. The letters of the Kabbalah problem. Tell me more about that. Okay. So like I said, they're all variations of the elemental forces. But they're very specific. So if you look at the letters as basically being signpost on this spectrum of energies. Okay. You'll have the main signpost for fire, SCH, but then you'll have these other letters around it. The letter D, the letter H, the letter S, the letter T, lot O, these kinds of things. And these are variations upon that primary elemental characteristic of fire. Now they also have lots of subfunctions. Barden did us, a, did us a tremendous favor and that he broke down the functions of the letters according to what level of reality they're being worked with, whether it's the Akashic, the mental, the astral, or the violent physical. And then he went on to tell us what they did. The thing is, the book is like, for those of you who are familiar with Western academics, the Cliff Notes version or the Encyclopedia Britannica version of what the letters do. Every one of these letters is the equivalent of a multi-volume encyclopedia in terms of the energy and the information that it contains. But Barden generally just gave us a paragraph on each at each level of reality. So 
what the Kabbalah course does is it breaks it down into a little more detail. It teaches you how to work with these things clearly, because the method that Barden presents in his third book for doing this works, and is one that I used. But for a lot of people, unless you've had training from either me or Mark Rasvess or you or a handful of other people, it's not precise enough to tell them how to do it on their own. Now, I have very rarely run into individuals who figured out how to do this work on their own, care of tremendous effort in isolation, and they're amazing people, but generally they miss some things. So the role of equilibrium, how balancing the elements becomes really important, or the role of akasha in dispelling elements so the energy just doesn't sink into the body and burn you. That stuff tends to get missed. It says it's really easy to do unless someone simply explained to you, hey, this is what you need to do and this is why. And that's a main effort of the course itself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and do you find that people on different spectrums of sensitivity have a different experience with the Kabbalah Master Course? Like you mentioned that there's three different types of uh, traditional students who go to a, into a temple environment. Absolutely. I mean, listen, a, a big failure point in a lot of systems is the role of body training. And this is because most good practitioners don't know how they developed the tissues in their body to do this kind of work. They got it really passively. So, you know, they grew up as a farm kid doing lots of labor or living in a rural environment. They served in the military and they wore body armor and a backpack and walked for miles. They did a ton of martial arts over a long period of time. This kind of training isn't very efficient. And unfortunately, if you haven't done a lot of body training, in most cases, most people don't have much physical sensitivity or much throughput. And that makes it very difficult to work with letters. And so you very often see someone who is gifted and who has this kind of training, set up shop, start teaching. And they're like, oh, my students are terrible. Well, because the practitioner themselves didn't understand how all that physical training allowed them to do these other things. And they don't know how to teach that to other people. Or they'll do something like, well, you have to practice the Tai Chi form for 10 years before you can feel the energy. That's pretty inefficient. Um, the master course has a very elegant method for doing that. The Kabbalah course has some basic training and body training as well. But if you already have basic energy sensitivity and you can hold three-part concentration, color, sound, and sensation, you can do the Kabbalah course from day one. Yeah. What's like a good demonstrable exercise that someone could do that's like a three-part concentration that so that they can qualify whether they can really make the most out of your course from the get-go? Sure. Well, the first letter we teach is the letter A for air, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Generating elemental air requires you to visualize a light blue color, a sensation of floating in the body, which is one of the easier ones to generate, and the sound of an eagle or raptor's cry in your ear. If you can do this, you'll feel the body begin to float. If you have good clairvoyance, you'll begin to see this light blue color permeate things around you. And that floating energy expands the mental body and the mental sphere, the result of which is your thought process gets much more precise, your thought process gets much quicker. Uh, you effectively become more intelligent while you're doing it. 
and on a physical level, because the body feels lighter, doing things like cardiovascular exercise, running, for example, becomes much easier. The perceived level of stress on the body decreases greatly. And most people can run much longer doing that than they can without it. So that's one of the easiest ways to demonstrate the efficacy of the letters. Other things like fire for heating up the body works. Usually takes a little bit longer. However, the reverse of that elemental earth gives you a sinking sensation, which for certain martial arts like Tai Chi is very usable as well. Hmm. Yeah, so it seems like if people, if they, could, they, if they are able to do or demonstrate some of these exercises that they can transition into the Kabbalah masterclass. Very quickly, very quickly. And again, keep in mind, by the time someone shows up on my doorstep, they've usually been working with Tai Chi, the internal martial arts, esoterica, meditation, and yoga for years. And so by having a very concise way of going, do A and then B happens, and this is how everything fits together, those people progress with the, with the Kabbalah course very, very, very rapidly. And, uh, you know, if you're willing to work with one letter a week, put in about 10 hours of work, within 27 to 30 weeks, you can complete the whole course. Some people have done it faster, by the way. Because if you've done things like Shingy, Five Element Fist, well, you've already worked with Elemental Fire, you've already worked with Elemental Water, you've already worked with the Element of Gravity. Mm. So you're already three-fifths of the way there. Um, a lot of systems like the Six Healing Sounds and things like that are essentially more Asian-specific elemental systems. And you even see this in Tibetan Buddhism and a few other systems as well, the Hindu yogic ones, mm -hmm. if the importance of those exercises isn't clearly stated. Hmm. Not brilliant. And so, um, and so... What happens when someone has done like the 10 hours with each single letter? Like what's, what's the next step of progression? You mentioned that there's, you know, there's multi-letter combinations of letters. There's, there's the, these, the planet energies, there's Sephiroth, there's Zodiac signs. It seems like there's like a life's work to do that you could do with this. Um, done properly, it shouldn't take more than four or five years. Mm. Just be completely honest. If you can do 10 hours a week worth of work, which is a little less than two hours a day with a given force, typically between the five and 20 hour point, someone will be able to generate that force cleanly with a high degree of strength upon demand. At that point, you can move on to the next one. And this is true whether or not it's an elemental letter from the Kabbalah or a planetary force or a zodiac force or a sephiro force. Mm. Now, in Barton's master system, you stack these things. So you learn how to generate an elemental force, a planetary force, a zodiac force, and then a sephiro level force. So for example, the Gabura level uh, sephiro meditation, you've got Gabura, which is this fiery orange color in the area above your head. You've got Aries as the constellation, which is a mustard and red fire colored energy. You've got Mars, which is a red, dry, warm energy. And then you've got SCH, which is elemental fire. Mm. You stack those one on top of another to generate a greater effect. Mm. Now, what's funny is you can just generate fire, SCH, at all four levels of reality and get something very close. By adding in the planets and the zodiac 
and the Sephiro that allows you to fine tune this and generate a lot more of it relative to whatever it is you're trying to do. Additionally, the higher level forces temper the nature of what's generated by the lower level forces. So in astrology, they talk about, hey, you know, Mars is the ruling planet of Aries. It's actually backwards. Mm. Aries tempers the result you get from Mars. Mm. Because these more physical forces have personality to them that the more ethereal or higher level forces, for lack of a better word, don't have. And that's easy for things to get out of hand. So, you know, there's the system that I'm building, which again has the Kabbalah course, followed by the planetary course, followed by the Zodiac course, and followed by the Sephiroth course. So we're working our way up that path of enlightenment, for lack of a better term, which ultimately results in the ability to enter this non-dual light state of complete enlightenment, the Nirvana of the Buddhist, the Tao of the Taoist, the God of the monotheistic faiths, so on and so forth, upon command by breaking it up into smaller steps instead of having to jump from just elemental fire all the way up to that state all at once. Mm. So on the way back down, when you're trying to manifest things, it makes things easier too by breaking it down into these smaller pieces and providing a more high-level guidance to you so things don't get out of hand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And and also makes me wonder too, and makes me excited for your uh, your next last class in cabal like it sounds like um it's gonna add a whole new dimension to cabal practice for many people yeah it's it's interesting you know it started by accident you know my main is my main practice and interest is the kabbalistic letters and so i had taught a small class of people i'd worked them through that over the course of about half a year and I'd worked with the planets before, but hadn't really gone in depth with them. And one of my students says, well, I want to do the planets. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not really that interested. It's not that interesting to me. Things can get out of hand. And he said, well, what if we approached the planets through the spirits, the spirits that teach Kabbalah? I was like, well, okay, now you got me. Um, and what we found was pretty interesting is... The planets through Saturn largely represent universal phenomena in life. Yeah. Everybody has experienced the tides of the moon and how that impacts their behavior. Everybody's been taught something, whether that's in a school or via apprenticeship or through your uncle. So Mercury is accessible because of that. Yeah. Everybody's felt the energy of life, so the sun's accessible for that. Okay. So we worked our way out to Saturn pretty easily. And then we decided, well, let's take a look at these outer planets, you know, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Well, it turns out the outer planets are very powerful, very difficult to control. But here's the catch. They're not universally accessible. They represent things that, for the most part, happened after the Industrial Revolution. Mm. So if you want to work with Uranus and you're not trained as an engineer or the scientific method... Well, that's going to be a little hard. Uh, Neptune, if you haven't worked with media or celebrity or performance arts, same kind of problem. Pluto's a bit of an exception. It's a little weird in its own right. But what we found was that by approaching it from a Kabbalistic perspective, I want to learn Kabbalah, it turns out that's the universal theme between all the planets. 
Mm. So if you go to an astrological course and you read up on Mars, right? It's like, okay, planet of warfare, planet of male sexuality, planet of pre-industrial engineering, planet of animal husbandry. Okay. If you hadn't worked with any of those things and you have a Mars meditation, it's generally going to be a pretty harsh experience because the planet has to get that energy into you to have something to work with and reflect off of. But there's an exception. If you studied Kabbalah, there are Kabbalah spirits associated with every planet. Mm. So this gave us an in on the outer planets that most of the people I talked to about that said, yeah, they're kind of potent. They're really unpredictable. It's kind of hard to see or make contact with what's going on out there because they didn't have a reason for being there. Right. The example I like to use is if you made a past security and wandered into the back offices of a major university and just started knocking on the doors of different professors, what kind of reaction would you get? Okay. Maybe one guy's bored and just wants to talk. Yeah. Okay. That could be a thing. Or maybe more likely they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you trying to talk to me? You need to get out of here. I got work to do. Leave me alone. You know, you're not one of my students. Yeah. So with the outer planets in particular, having a reason to engage with those is super, super important. Um, also, because the planets have a very real astral or energetic signature associated with them. Yeah. The spirits, when you invoke them, tend to be very present. Mm. And so, depending upon the egregore or energetic buildup around that given entity, they can be pretty dualistic. They can be good or they can be bad. And this is where negative manifestations of things can happen that are really hard to control and very uncomfortable. Mm. But then we started working on the Zodiac. Yeah. Right? Working our way through that. This is where things got interesting again. Again, we had a reason to be there because of the focus on Kabbalah, because again, just as with the planets, there are Kabbalah spirits associated with all the signs of the Zodiac. Yeah. But what was also interesting is the Zodiac largely, those entities largely manifest on a mental level. Mm. Well, when you're dealing with a mental level entity, it's beyond spatial constraint. It's one step removed from the void. So it's not very dual yet. It hasn't bifurcated into a positive and a negative very much. Mm. Again, if you're really lazy with your esoteric hygiene and you've been robbing your neighbor's house and raping his daughter and doing a bunch of drugs, yes, you can pull off a negative manifestation of a mental level entity, but it takes a lot of work. Yeah. So for that reason, the Zodiac ended up being very easy to work with. Mm. Additionally, what we found is that those meditations with something like Saturn, which are universally very harsh in nature for most people, got softened because the Zodiac regulated that relationship with the planet, um, which is really amazing. It completely caught us by surprise when we were working on that. Mm. Finished that about a year ago. Then about seven months ago, we started working with the Sephiro, which again, at the Akashic and Nando level, very hard to make contact with for most people. Mm. But again, we had a reason. Hey, we're here to learn Kabbalah. Sure enough, there are Kabbalah teachings, spirits at each one of the Sephiro. Yeah. So what ended up getting explained was that 
by meditating on the sephiro at that akashic or non-dual level, it essentially breaks up the jump from that high mental level to that pure non-dual level in the little steps. So what we found was that immersion into non-dual light started becoming much easier and much more potent. Um, the information you'll get through that, through the level of about Gabura or so, is pretty clear. After that, and just starting to work through this now, things become increasingly non-dual in nature, so it's hard to perceive what's going on. There's an energy transfer because the entities are there and they're there to help you with that. But it becomes increasingly diffuse on the way up. My suspicion and what's been told to me by talking to these different entities is that by the time you work your way all the way up to Kether, you essentially become an arahant in the tradition of Theravada Buddhism, where you can spontaneously and intentionally, by the way, put yourself into that state. Whereas most people will have experiences without just working with the Kabbalah by the letters by themselves, it's generally very hard for them to do it consciously. It just kind of randomly happens as a result of practice. So that's that difference between somebody who's had the Enlightenment experience in the end, the rare individual who can go into that state consciously upon demand. And so yeah. that's where the whole system going. Yeah, and so it's also there also seems to be this this causation where you're connecting with each of these different energies and the Sephiroth and the constellations. And by the time you're at the Sephiroth, it, things are are more non dual nature, and it's more about. Um, so at each step, you're you're spending enough time with each of these spheres to gain equanimity, to gain balance, and to balance from the effects of that sphere. And that's 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 in a sense a way of mastery. And then you can do that all the way up to, you know, Kether. And then that's basically at the level where you can consciously experience uh, like enlightenment and and the and the and the, as the equivalent to the same tr level of Narhan, where you can choose to not only be a non-returner but also like to fully, to fully merge. Correct. And um, there are echoes of this in other systems as well, where, where they will have a schedule or roster of entities that lead you through those different states. It's just generally not explained very well. Uh, and again, that sigil, that drawing on the front page of Franz Barton's third book, Key to the True Kabbalah, gives you the roadmap. It's, it's really quite profound. I've seen some similar stuff amongst some of the tantric Buddhist traditions, but someone clearly spelling that out, very uncommon. So again, I didn't invent anything here, Jake. You know, I didn't come up with anything new. I just followed the roadmap and have a teaching methodology that people seem to have really good results from. Uh, now, what's curious is once you work your way all the way up, then you can work your way all the way back down. My suspicion that is that results in some ability to conduct physical manifestation by, again, showing you how to lead the energies from this diffuse, ethereal, soft kind of thing into something much more physical. But I've got about another year and a half of work ahead of me before I'm uh, getting anywhere near that, I'm afraid. So uh, freezing a cup of water into ice or uh, setting a piece of paper on fire Sorry, guys. Probably going to take me a little bit longer. But... Right. Right. 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, uh, it's phenomenal. It sounds like this is an exceptional journey, and uh, I'm really excited for more people to be on the the journey through the through the constellations and through the Sephiroth in in the in this way that's presented, where instead of just jumping straight into the Sephiroth and maybe not finding the context for it, or maybe not being able to access the highest peak levels of the Sephiroth because some of this some of the the base work hasn't been done. So maybe people have gone through the Sephiroth before, but they're but they're only hitting the the very lowest kind of um you know low, lower lower astral to it or middle astral. Um where with here we're accessing like the the highest form of light concentrated in each of the Sephiroth because you've already done the preparatory work. So then you're so then you're having true mastery of the Sephiroth in a way that hasn't been presented so transparently before. Yeah, uh, you know, so the Planetary Kabbalah course should be out probably the first couple of weeks in February. I would like to get the Zodiac course done by the end of February, but it'll probably be March. The Sephiro course itself, I've got about six or seven months work ahead of me before I'm done with that process personally. And then it's probably going to take me a few months after that to kind of get my head around best how to present the material to others. So I would expect to see that maybe around December of this year, January of 2025, somewhere in that. At that point, that'll be the main coursework as done by the 60 Skills curriculum. Now keep in mind, all these are living courses, so there'll be additions here or there, most notably to the Kabbalistic letter library in terms of multi-letter combinations. Um but once all of that's done, everything you need to work with the given force is out there in the appropriate course. And I'm doing this not just because, you know, each for a living, but also for some selfish reasons in that when I reincarnate and I intend to come back, um, I don't want it to take me 30 years to learn how to do this again. Mm. You know, I have one extraordinary student who you personally know who basically went from zero to being better than me in about four and a half years. Mm. Now, this was a very hardworking individual, you know, very focused, had the financial resources necessary to spend most of his day practicing. And by virtue of having clear instruction and actually doing the work, he entered that master level of performance within a couple of years. So this myth that this stuff takes a lifetime, not really true. It ends up taking a lifetime because most people don't know how to put it together. And the 60 Skills program gives people a scaffolding or setup by which to do that. Again, there are other ways to do this. Lots of traditions out there. You know, if you have the ability to make contact with the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community, I'm sure in some of their uh, Kabbalah schools, they've got some amazing stuff. But... I personally don't have access to that. Not many people do, unfortunately. You know, I think Shingon Buddhism probably has some interesting things to say. I know in my studies of uh, of Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of the, it's all there too. But you know, with a lot of these systems, accessibility is a bit of a problem. So, like with Tibetan Buddhism, if you haven't learned Trollcore, a lot of their higher level techniques don't work. Mm. And finding someone who's willing to teach you that. Not very easy to do in most cases. So, again, the 60 skills curriculum is about presenting 
an easily accessible method that doesn't require someone to be born into a specific group or have a specific religion. And likewise, anybody can do it. I mean, there, there's, as you well know, there's no religious content to what I do at all. So it's not exclusive in that regard where it's going to cause a problem with someone's faith. It's introduced as engineering. And from what everybody tells me, it seems to work pretty well. That sounds great. Any any last comments before we hop off? Uh, no, just a you know, gratuitous plug. But as per usual, if uh, you want to learn about my stuff, go to 60schills.com. All the materials are hosted by uh, Perseus Arcane Academy. There's even some free coursework in there. You have a lovely course on spirit magic and evocation as well, so it's well worth checking out. And if you want to do long-term live-in on-location training, there is no better source than Mark Rasmus. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your time. I hope to speak to you, with you again soon. Not a problem, man. Take care of yourself, and as always, train hard and be well.